All right, Jess, thank you for those announcements. Uh, Aaron, thank you for reading this morning. Um, we are going to be in Romans chapter 6, um, these verses that he had just read for us today. And um, I would encourage you to have it out so you can follow along with us in God's Word today. Um, as, we've been, as we've been going through this, as we go, get ready to go back to this text, it just um, it struck me as I listened to this, I'm very thankful for just really the, the outworking of the gospel in our church family over the last couple of years, even as God has led us into the, the partnership with My Village Ministries and um, just how that, that gospel shapes us, right? Why do, we, why do we do this with kids? I mean, we're not hosting anybody in our family, right? But why are we participating as a church and how the, the Burns family interplays that? Why do we host? Why do we pay for things? It's because this great redemptive work God does. Right? He goes to little old Scott Burns out in the desert wandering around back in, in the 80s. And um, not because he's great, not that because he lives in a good spot in the country, just comes to me out of kindness and goodness, a little fist-shaking alien and enemy of his, and graciously comes to me and gives me life. And not only changes me from being a fist-shaking alien from him and invites me into his kingdom, but all the way into his home, to his family, where he adopts me as his son. And loves me with the love with which he has loved his son, Jesus. Kind of crazy levels, right? That, that all the way in the home type love. And so when you've been adopted um, and you see the beauty of that, um, it makes you want to do the same thing that's been done to you. So we as God's family here, those of us that know Jesus, we've been adopted by him. It wasn't because we were a good-looking little one out there. It's because he's great and kind to us. And so because of what he's done to us, we take joy in being able to do that to others. And so sometimes we pay for that. Sometimes we go pick people up from that, babysit from that, host for that, show hospitality for it. But it comes out of the fact that Jesus is the great adopter. He's the great foster caregiver, the one who takes care of the orphan and the widow. And he's beautiful when he does. And we all have tasted the fruit of that that know him as our Savior. So that's what's behind it. Thank you guys for being a part. And for those of you guys who are, are still looking forward to be a part of that, please let us know. We'll connect you into that. That would be really good. All right, so here we are in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. Okay, here's my honest warning. So I've been practicing on this text. It was going to be Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, have a whole sermon built out. And as I'm praying and thinking 45 minutes before I get here, I just felt the Lord lead to just auger down in the first four verses. There may be a typo, therefore, in my slides. They only happen just occasionally, but uh, we're going to stay in the first four verses of this book here, this chapter. I think it's very helpful in this. If we here are people, if you're sitting in the room here and you know Jesus, um, sin is hard. I mean, it's really hard. I've sat on my front porch this week talking to the Lord about how hard it is to not sin. I know I'm loved by him, but man, just the tendencies in my heart and my resistance and stupidity, just, and it's amazing to me how like temptation, it, is, it always stabs you in the back. It always stabs you in the back. It always under delivers. I was just sitting there yesterday counting through all the things that naturally my mind is pulled towards. Little adventures, little possessions, little things I do, certain relationships. And you know what? Every time, they're not nearly as good as advertised. In fact, every time, they're disappointing. And then actually, every time I'm with the Lord, 
It may not be easy in the moment, but it is most satisfying. And yet every day I wake up and it's like, go here, go here, go here. It's crazy. I'll be free from that someday when I see the face of Jesus. But until then, those temptations will continue to hit my, heart, my mind as a, as a beloved child of God, fully forgiven, fully redeemed. I'm going to fight against it. It'll be there. Uh, it's hard. This text today, I think, will give us help. The, the greater text of all of chapter 6 will give us a lot of help, just like chapter 5 gave us help, and 4 too. Like, this is so much help in the book of Romans because there's so many details of it. It's not, you know, you know a lot of times in the in the inauthenticity sometimes of our response to Jesus. We say, yeah, I want Jesus. I want salvation. I want happiness. I want satisfaction. But do, do we really mean that? Do we really let, say, Jesus, you have the words of life. I don't want you. Or are we just kind of coming near, kind of half-hearted, uh, really with hearts that are deceived and half-heartedly uh, approaching him. And so therefore, we're not reading a lot of what he says. We have very, very vague thoughts of Jesus, and it's like hugely inferential. A lot of times our theology is just inference on top of inference on top of inference. We read, we heard someone say on television one time that God is love, and we're like, well, that's it. All I know is that God's love, and then we just build inferences on top of that. Instead, the way that Jesus works, he goes, oh, no, I'm not of this world. You don't think the way that I think. I come to bring truth and life to you. And then he gives us the New Testament by the power of Spirit, and he's just pouring out the goodies in it. I mean, he's just pouring out all these details and facts. Last week in our chapter, there are things in chapter 5 you'll never come up with your own. You'll just never come up with on your own, and you'll never infer them correctly. In fact, if you listen to certain, just certain things Jesus says, and you just take that and you ignore him, which is not the first and greatest commandment to love him, right? If you ignore him and then you build the inferences, you build your little kingdom and theology of inferences, you just make a weak disaster. It's just a puddle. And so, brothers and sisters, Romans is so sweet because all these details, right? It's all these, these rock-solid pieces of truth. He goes, check this out. And you can pluck it out of the text. And so last week when we saw all these things that in, in chapter, at the end of chapter 5, that Jesus, the one who brings us to God and gives us peace with God through this justifying work that he um, does it to the whole world, can do it to everybody in the whole world, Jewish, non-Jewish person. And why? Because the whole world started out in Adam's problem and Adam was there to set up so that Jesus would come. Adam existed for Jesus. How everything worked where we died in Adam, that existed so that someday we could live in Jesus. Jesus is better. Look how much of a better one that Jesus is and all these details of righteousness he gives and justification he gives. And he goes, and grace on top of grace on top of grace on top of grace, much more grace, right? Uh, you could come up with that on your own. Don't come up, read it. Read him say there's a much more grace, much more grace. He gives abundant grace because you don't need just well-wished thoughts about Jesus and about what he might do to you. You need the words of Jesus and what he'll do to you. So he goes, much more grace. And he goes, I'll give you eternal life. And then he says, and then you will reign in life. You're not going to come up with that on your own. So you can take that. And I was trying it this week. I take that. You're going to reign in life. And I sit it there kind of on the table of my mind before the Lord. I say, Lord, this is pretty fancy pretty special and pretty shiny, but I don't get it very much. It's like a really nice treasure that someone gives me, like someone tossed me the Mona Lisa. I don't think it's that pretty, right? I know it's special, 
but it's that, right? It's worth a lot of money, but it's, I don't get it, right? I need to be able to get it. I need to grow my appreciation so I can see the beauties of it. And something far better than Mona Lisa is there. So there's these details. At the end of chapter 5, he has said time and time again, much more grace, much more grace. And so, if you're a person who builds your theology off of inference and you don't keep reading, you're like, well, okay, so where sin abounds, grace abounds more. That was found in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, now the law came in to increase trespass or sin, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Okay, so the inference would be, if we want more grace then, how do we get more grace? Pump up the sin. I know, I, know, I know Jesus is outside the box, but I heard Jesus say his thing, so obviously the inference is don't work God off of inferences. He is way beyond us. Keep your nose in the text and keep plowing until the day you die and let God pop it off the pages to you. Don't work off of cheap inferences. Don't try to understand God's sovereignty off of inferences. Don't try to understand his compassion off of inferences. So when Wes took us this morning to pray about compassion of our sovereign God, he took us to a text about compassion so we don't have to guess that God is compassionate or not compassionate based upon what we see. We see that he says, I am compassionate. And you take these truths and you put them next to each other. Sometimes they don't actually make sense to our minds. They're kind of beyond us, actually way beyond us. But we're not people of inference. We're people of text. So, but that's been a lifelong, church-long problem. In Romans chapter 6, it says this problem. He goes, so what shall we say then? First one, check it out. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a fair question because of what was just said, right? Where more sin is, more grace is. But he goes, no, no, that's not the solution to sin more. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So he slams the brake on the sin train right there. He goes, no, 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 no. This is not what you do. And now the rest of six, he's going, let me unfold the details of this. So if you want to know how you as a Christian should have no place for sin in your life, how you fight against it, how you be liberated from it. All these kinds of details are coming in this chapter right here. Know the details so you can pray the details with the Lord. And later on in the book, you're going to find, in this chapter, you're going to find, so you can talk to yourself about these details. You can preach to yourself these details and just don't go down the rabbit trail there. Look in verse 3. And so, so this is where uh, my sermon got derailed today because the first part we talked about baptism and then I was like, ah, oh, okay, we get, we get, we're just going to unfold this, okay? Answer number one about why we don't go on in sin, the answer is in your baptism. I said to your baptism because the text assumes you've already been baptized, okay? The answer is in your baptism. And so as you read this text, it will begin to make a little more sense if you've been baptized because the Spirit through Paul is referencing what's already happened in your life. If you haven't been baptized... Potential. So there are multiple types of us in this room and online. Hello to you guys out there. Um, there are people who are like, I don't know God and I don't want to want a God. I don't want to know God. Or maybe you're just trying to understand God and come to wrestling with who he is. Um, you're welcome to listen to this. I hope that you might see what God is inviting you into. You also might be a Christian who is not baptized for some reason or another. Um, and some of that can be kind of confusion and um, not greatly associating with the scriptures. 
See, because if you're in the Scriptures reading, you're going to hit this term baptism again and again and again. It's all over the place. It's in the Gospels. It's in Acts, which is kind of like Gospel Part 2. It's all the way through the epistles. Baptism is, is everywhere in the New Testament. So if we're being light touching on the Scripture and light reading through the Scripture, you, baptism may not be crossing your mind. So you might not be baptized because of that. Or you might have your concepts of baptism, which I'm going to admit are kind of confusing. It is kind of confusing. Your concepts might be built upon something your grandma said or um, something you vaguely remember from Sunday school or some tradition of yours, okay? And so therefore, it sits in a category of something quite often in conservative Christianity as it's a token of maturity and seriousness. So when I get really serious, then I'll get baptized someday. Or it was, a, it was something that happened to me when I was a kid, that I did this as a kid, um, when I was a wee little lad or lass, um, or maybe I was a little child. So there's different reasons why you may not be baptized. I welcome you to think about this stuff with us. And for the rest of us that are here and who have been baptized, which is the vast majority of it, um, I hope that today um, we can help you think this through a little more clearly, A, for the help of you, because it's about help for you in the text, but B, also in how you explain it to other people and how it integrates into how you share the gospel with people. Um, and I'll share why I'm going to connect this to the gospel as we go along. Verse 3, the answer is in your baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We, there, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, first of all, What's baptism? Baptism, baptize, comes from a, a Greek word meaning to dip, to, to put underneath the water. We see a number of these cases in the New Testament where Christ is. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the last of the Old Testament prophets, Old Covenant prophets, he's out there in the, in the wilderness. God has given him a new sign called baptism, and it's this new action that God had given very graciously to help John um, convey the heart of God and give people a, a real visceral response to the message of God, which was to repent. It's not good enough just to be a little good Jewish boy or girl out there. All people need to repent and come to God. Obedience from the heart, forgiveness of sins is what they need. And so they would listen to John's message because the message came from God. And they would say, I agree with that or I disagree with that. And he goes, those who agree with it, come line up for the water. <laughs> and those who disagree with it, come back tomorrow. Or go away, you snakes. That was his other version that he would say, if you were a leader at that time. So he creates this, this idea of baptism. There were some Old Testament washings that would be different, some ceremonial washings that were back then. But really, baptism really shows up in the scene with John. Then remember, John baptizes Jesus. John's like, no. And Jesus goes, yes, this needs to happen. Not because Jesus needed repentance, because Jesus is identifying with the message through which he would come. Jesus comes through the old covenant message. Jesus identifies and says, this is me. I'm in the heart of my father. And then when we get to Jesus, though, he changes baptism up. He changes baptism up. And baptism ends up being one of two things they often call sacraments. They are physical items that God gives the church to do something. We're going to celebrate one of those today. I'm talking about one, celebrating one. So uh, we're not baptizing anybody today, but we are celebrating communion today. So these things we call sacraments are a physical, multi-sensory act designed by God to teach us deep and meaningful truths of a particular importance and allow us to respond in a whole person type way. 
And as our Lord, he calls us to these acts as he's cre- that he's created, and they are unique help from him to us. So they're things he's made, he calls us to them, and they're actually a great help to us. So we'll celebrate communion in the back there. Communion is, is designed by God, particularly when we take it together, those who put their faith in Jesus, to remember one thing, that Jesus died for our sins. That's particularly what communion is for. And so when you take it, um, you're saying, Jesus did die, and he did die for me. So that's why we encourage people who don't know Jesus yet, don't take communion. That's why God actually says, it's a bad thing to take communion properly, to take it with a mixed heart, or to be faking it. Like, communion was made by Jesus. He loved it. He even used the word, you know, the word, there's, a, there's a word for greatly desire, and it's often translated lust. Um, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, is finally going to initiate communion, the Lord's Supper, right? He takes the Passover, and at the end, he tweaks it, initiates this new thing called communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever the name you want to use it, and he goes, he said, his words, I have longed for this moment. We translate that word, in other words, lusted for this moment. I mean, Jesus is passionate about this action and what it means, and so he invites us as all Christians to come in and celebrate him, not us. You're not saying, hey, I'm taking this bread and I'm pretty good, or my walk with Jesus is pretty strong, or I didn't fight with my wife today, or, or no, no, we're not saying anything about us other than the fact that I believe that Jesus died for sins and my sin. That's what we're doing. We're taking that communion together. The other one being baptism. So these elements are two unique things that God has given that have actually physical, physical um, an element to them that really are designed by God to stir in our hearts, to instruct us, and give us a way to really um, help our wholeheartedness as we respond to him. The text here, if you read it, it says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In this text, and in one in Colossians, I'll read a little bit, the assumption is everyone who reads these things as God's followers have already been baptized. That's why he can reference to what has already happened here. So it's an action that was very common for them. They understood what it meant. It would be way more understandable than our common world now. That's one of the things that makes baptism a little bit confusing for us because when we talk to someone, even if we have a robust concept of gospel, we're like, okay, you're dead in a doornail, so am I, right? We're against God, but now God's offering us to be in reconciliation with him. When we don't, do you want, you want to do it the old? You want the new? You want to be a person who loves the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength? You want God to be your king and your treasure? You want him to have the wheel? You want, you want him to be there, Okay. Now let's talk about how that happens to the work of Jesus. So are you clear on what the new life is and are you clear on how that gets done? Even when we're talking that through, I still find it quite the hard transition about like, well, then there's baptism. Like, what? Like, none of them are going, so, so baptism? Bapti-? Like, that's not going to happen very often. You might hit one, let me know when it does, but usually baptism is in just a funny category out here. But in the New Testament, when they're sharing the gospel with people, um, you're going to have to work pretty hard in your New Testament to find anybody who gets baptized um, any farther than a day from the day they come to know Jesus. So in, West, in a lot of our Western world churches, we've used baptism as kind of like a, a tested tool. You know, um, Matt gives his heart to Jesus. He says, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And they're like, 
okay, we're going to watch you for a little while. Or like, oh yeah, we'll watch you for a while. Either in hope or suspicion, we'll watch you for a little while, and then once we think that you're good, you're in, then we'll baptize you. But really, that's not how it was designed by God. It was not used by that, uh, the New Testament in any way like that. When a person puts their faith in Jesus, they would, they would go get baptized. Now, the argument is, you're putting your life on the line in the New Testament when you get baptized. And so therefore, there was, a, there was more weight in it. Sure, maybe. But then again, we never find a single person in the church of Jesus that wasn't baptized. In fact, it was so assumed that in Acts chapter 19, we'll look at it later, when Paul goes to talk to people, that's his diagnostic tool. Uh, what were you baptized into? Like, it's, it's a giving. Like, it's like, where'd you come from? Well, the assumption is you came from someplace because you're living, right? So if you're a Christian, what were you baptized into? It's just basic fundamental thoughts. So I want to walk us through um, a, a couple pieces of this. The picture of baptism, um, particularly, it's the complete death of my old self. It's the complete death of my old self that, is, that has occurred, and I am now a different person. I'm all in. There's nothing of the old me that remains. I am a new creation, and you can count that has happened. You can count on that. You can treat me as that. It's a public statement. Statement to God, statement to yourself, it's a statement to the world around us that you've done this. And quite honestly, maybe there's some great parallels now to a, a wedding. Um, I've done a lot of pre counseling and I've done a lot of weddings, done a lot of your weddings. Um, and I haven't yet had this happen. I, I'm surprised I haven't. But I haven't encountered a couple that wants to get married where one of the parties is so embarrassed that they want to have a non-wedding marriage. Um, where like, ah, I want to be married, but I don't want to have a wedding. I'm just too embarrassed to stand with this man. I'm too embarrassed to be his, I'm too embarrassed to be uh, her husband. Um, you know, for whatever reason. I've never had that happen. We all understand that the significance of marriage means you come out of whatever you're in. You come out adorned, not for you, but you come out adorned for the other person, right? You come out and you stand with the other person openly, publicly, adorned in a white dress and dripping cash all over the place. And we stop the day. We stop the day to sit the two of you guys here. And you look at each other and you have this, this very public ceremonious thing because it defines who you are. Baptism defines who you are. How weird it would be to have a spouse, suppose a spouse that doesn't want to stand in a wedding with you, how weird it is to be a Christian who would not want to be baptized with Jesus. So there's something very publicly strange about that goes in our hearts. So anyway, I, want to, I don't want to say that to shame you if you're not baptized this morning or if you don't know Jesus or, um, or to help you fuel judgment on anybody. I want us just to think freshly about baptism and look through a couple of different texts that I think are really helpful. So here we go. Number one, baptism shapes how we think of each other. So again, I'm sorry for the size of this, but I got a lot of words, okay? (laughs) Baptism shapes how we think of each other. So number one in our text, all of our texts today are going to kind of hinge off where we're at. Chapter verse three and verse four of chapter six. We have died with him in baptism. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to turn there. If not, I will read it for you. It says this. So, so how do we think about each other? Uh, when Tristan gets baptized, how does it shape how I think about him? Because baptism is his public ceremony that I'm all in. 
So uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Christ was a man walking on the earth, but then something changed. He died and rose again. He is resurrected in newness of life. So we don't think about him just as a walking man. He was divine and man, but then when he got resurrected, he was divine and man resurrected, walking in newness of life. And so now, uh, baptized Tristan over there, how do I think about him? I don't think about him just Tristan, the amazing engineer, the good friend, the stunning storyteller, um, all these kind of things. There's a whole new man. He is a man who has been intersected by the living God, has been brought, the old hymn has been brought to the end, and there's a new hymn. And the Spirit of God is working in him. And so my hope now is that God will continue working in him. And I know that though he's perfectly loved by God, he's going to mess things up. He's going to wrestle with sin. He's going to be sanctified over his whole life. And then someday God will take him to glory. But that's how I get to think about him. I don't think about him as like, "Ah, Tristan the nice guy. Tristan the kind of gifted guy. Tristan, like, he'll never change. What are you saying about him? What are you saying about Jesus? If the man has been in Christ and baptized, we don't think about him as a guy who's just stuck in his ways. More than that, he's a guy with the Spirit of God stuck in his chest. And he's new and he's alive, and so I don't consider him the old way. And for everybody who is in Jesus, we don't think about each other as just people who are bound to our birth order or bound to our tendencies or stuck in the ways of introvert, extrovert, stuck in your whiteness, blackness, everything between us. Um, We don't think about each other that way. We think of the new man in Christ, the new woman in Christ. That's who we are. That's who Claire is. That's how you think about her. That's how you pray for her. That's how you engage her. She isn't just a mortal woman. She is a woman unified with Christ, new and alive. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when you think of Tristan, Tristan was crucified with Christ. The old Tristan was crucified with Christ. It's no longer, he's just no longer that guy. There's something new here. Christ lives in him. If Christ lives in Tristan, you're going to treat him differently. You're going to expect differently. You're going to engage differently. You're going to hope differently. When you see Tristan messing up, and he does every six months, um, when you see Tristan messing up and you're his friend, because you believe Christ is in him, you approach it in a different way than if you didn't think he had Christ in him, right? Christ is there. But Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So baptism shapes how we think of each other. Maybe I could, maybe I could put it in, in these, these bullet-pointed words here, okay? Take note, God, self, world. Okay, when you're being baptized, take note of these things. This is in our text we just read here and in Romans. Number one, I completely died. There's no little hand sticking up out of the baptismal like, I'm, I'm like 97% gone, but I'm, I'm just still the old me. No, no, you're all the way in. Some of the point are all the way under, right? Number one, I died. Number two, I died in by Christ. In and by Christ. So I'm going to go vague on this so no one feels weird. Um, 
I have been involved in a number of camps and schools and churches over the years and baptisms, right? And um, sometimes, culturally, baptism becomes something it's not really. And uh, I've, I've been involved in a certain Christian culture where baptism has kind of devolved, and they're bringing it out. They're doing some good stuff on it right now. I'm in some discussions about this. But baptism has kind of devolved into the, I'm, simply, I'm all in. But it's not, I'm all in by Christ. So when people speak of their testimony, they're saying like, I just want everyone to know that I'm a follower of Jesus, right? And I'm going, but how? How did you become a follower of Jesus? Great. Did you just willpower yourself to say, I'm no longer a slacker? Or did something happen to you? Were you taken on a ride? Did you die with Jesus? Were you crucified with Jesus? So baptism is not only I'm in, I'm dead, but it's how I died. I died by Christ. So everyone's got a death to die. And either that death will in the end have happened with Jesus or else you're going to ins absolutely insist on holding in your own hands and you will die, not only physically, but you will die spiritually. The death's going to happen. Will it have happened in Jesus or will it happen in your own hands? So when you're baptizing, you're being baptized, you're saying, I'm completely dead. The old me's gone. Number two, I died in Christ, by Christ. And number three, and this explains the new me. There's a new hot Tristan coming through. Watch out, right? There's a, there's a new me coming through because Christ is doing the work, not because Tristan just got smarter or learned something new. So I am a person who trusts in the gospel. It is a supernatural work. I'm telling people a supernatural thing happened to me and yet will again happen to me. He will change me more and more and more into his image as one who's been perfectly loved all, way, all along the line. It's going to happen, and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty, but the change will happen. So those are three things. Basically, you're saying, God, self, world, I'm dead. And I'm I died in Christ, and there's a new me unseen. And, then to, and all the credit of that goes to Jesus. Our second piece is this. Christ calls us to baptize others. So, okay, got your bucket off the shelf, uh, your jar. It says things I know about baptism. Okay, take it off the jar. Open up the lid. We're going to stick a few things in there, okay? And, and then, if you, then I'm going to give you the verses. So if, you, if it sounds like I'm crazy or whatever, you can kind of check it out later and figure out what's going on. So number one, baptism shapes how we think of ourselves and each other. Number two, baptism, it is Christ calls us to baptize others. Who's us? Us. His people. Great commission. Calls us to baptize others. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore, Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just a little Bible study there. There's one verb in there, which is make disciples. And there's three things you do to make disciples. You go, you teach, you baptize. God calls us as helping people know Jesus, follow him, be disciples. Part of the fundamental piece is to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why would we keep talking about baptism? Because Jesus told us to, and Jesus is all we've got. And he's our leader. And so he says, I've got this wonderful thing called baptism. Give it to him. Teach him about it. Teach us all about it. Invite people to it because it's a sweet deal. Third, Christ calls us all to be baptized with salvation. So if you are saved, the next thing he calls you to do is to demonstrate that in the waters of baptism. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and you can see this a lot throughout the book of Acts if you read through this. It says, here's one. 
Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It is time and time again wrapped so tightly in the New Testament of repentance and baptism that it can be confusing. There are people that would think you are saved by being baptized, which you're not. But just in fairness, it is so tightly packed in there that if you want to argue with the person against a thing called baptismal regeneration but don't want to argue for immediate baptism, you've got a hard world to live in. It is tight. Baptism is loved by Jesus and is just welded on to the next step of actually coming to know him. Third, all Christians in the New Testament have been baptized. There's a few things you're not going to find in the New Testament. Bigfoot, Krispy Kreme donuts, and unbaptized Christians. They don't exist. Um, look at Colossians chapter 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you all were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. All the texts in the New Testament assume, if you're a Christian and you're hearing this, we have a common heritage. Just like we say, hey, all you guys have been born, we could all reference that. Um, we could all reference the fact that we have been baptized. Next one. Our response to the call of baptism matters. Um, so these next two points here, you may not have thought about these. The, the last one you might have if you hang out with me because I talk about it. But the, your response to baptism really matters, okay? Remember, baptism was a tool God gave, namely on the New Testament scene, to, to demonstrate authenticity, okay? There were two different baptisms in the New Testament. A little fast ride, right? John's baptism, which was a, we didn't know Jesus' name, and we didn't know what he was going to do, and he hadn't died and rose again, right? That was a baptism before then, but it was a, a statement of saying, I agree with that message wholeheartedly. All of me, going in. Jesus' baptism is a little bit different. It is a, it is a baptism saying, I know who the Savior of the world is. It is Jesus, and he died and did rise from the dead. And I am completely with him, unified with him in that. We'll talk about unity next week in that. In Luke chapter 7, verse 29 and 30, is a pretty interesting thing. Your response to the call of salvation matters. Luke 7, 29 says this, When all the people of Israel heard this, and the tax collectors too, they heard the message of John, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So when John says, hey, it's not good enough just to be Jewish, it's about repentance from the heart. It's about repentance from the heart. Um, they had a choice. They would respond. They would respond straight into the Jordan or they would respond home. And when they responded straight into the Jordan to be baptized, they were declaring that God was right. He's righteous. He is just. So them choosing to adopt baptism of John, right, to adopt this, 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 this image that God had given, was actually them declaring the rightness, the righteousness of God. Then the verse after this, uh, Luke 7.30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, so the leaders of Israel, because they were punks, rejected the purpose of God for themselves. So check out these words. Every now and then you're going to run into someone and go, oh, the Pharisees weren't that bad. They were. The Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves. That's hard words. Why? not having been baptized by him. So the response to the message, therefore using the tool of, the baptism, of baptism, 
If you did it, you said, God is right and I'm not. And if you didn't, you say, I reject this for me. So the response to baptism, even John's baptism, mattered a whole lot. So when we sit back as, as Christians, as we often do, if you're, if you're a Christian you've never been baptized, I, I don't want you to feel like you're a freak. You're like a, a huge pile of North American Christians. There's a ton of us out there, right? Because we don't really understand this. This concept of baptism is really weird to us. We don't baptize people outside of churchy things, right? It's like a very unique churchy thing. So it's kind of mysterious. I'm just trying to unfold the heart of God in it, where it comes from, what it demonstrates. But it is, the idea of baptism is something he calls us to do, and it matters how you respond to it. When you take on baptism, because when you say, God, yes, I want to be yours. Now notice, in the gospel, we were the kings, bad little kings and queens, right? We've stolen, we've stolen the crown, we're wielding God's scepter, but now in the, the offer, what he's offering us in salvation is that he would be the king again. So if we're saying, yes, I want God to be the king again, he goes, all right, first thing is, go demonstrate it in water. We're like, yeah, but, and we're like, okay, wait, 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 wait. If you're authentically saying, I want him to be the king, and I didn't want Jesus' death work to pay for that, but then you're you're stiff-arming him and stonewalling him, friend-zoning him in the very first move, of what he's calling you to do, it's really helpful in seeing resistance against the kingship because probably the crown is still on your head. But it's so tricky for us as people in our hearts. You know, I mean, like, how many times this week have I, when I'm praying through something like that, and I, and I just, I've been walking with Jesus for a little while. I might have a little higher-tuned radar of twisted-heartedness maybe than you if you're new in Jesus. Like, I just know things are not right in my heart. It's like, I say I don't want to do this anymore. I say I want to do this, but do I really, really? Or do I kind of like the old way? Don't want to make room for myself to fail and still feel good. Uh, baptism is such an, a, a beautiful, helpful thing because it forces the issue right out of the gate. Are you or are you not completely his? Are you or are you not purchased with the blood of Jesus himself and say, Jesus, you want me to get in the water? absolutely right in front of everybody and to go do it with honor before him. Our response to the call of baptism really matters. Um, my last point here is this. Did you get the right baptism? So I, I have, this is one of my, I love this conversation. I've had this conversation so many gazillions of times over the years. Um, I got baptized when I was a kid. Okay. I actually did. I was baptized when I was um, I want to say like eight, nine. I had put my faith in Jesus. I told my parents I want to get baptized. I got baptized as a kid. In the New Testament, we see whole households coming to know Jesus, and they get baptized. Um, the adults and the kids, they'll get baptized. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7 are very helpful. Did you, did you actually get the right baptism? Acts 19, verses 1 to 7 says this, And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, pa Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples, good guys. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard the, of a Holy Spirit. And another day I'll tell you about that. Okay, so Paul's run to a team. He's asking a diagnostic question. They, they don't get the diagnostic question right. So he backs up and twiddles his fingers like this in his heart. And then he comes back in. He goes, okay, then, then verse 3, into what then were you baptized? That's a 
Funny, amazing question. Into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So they listened to John the Baptist. They said, your message is right, because his message was right. They went into the Jordan and saying, yes, it's about repentance from the heart. And he goes, you were baptized into John's baptism? And he goes, well, let me tell you about something. Verse 4, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, the first double dippers in the New Testament. They got dipped by John in the message of John in the Jordan. But then when they heard that Jesus was known and that Jesus died and Jesus rose again, they're like, we need to upgrade our dip, right? They actually meant something about the first baptism. This wasn't their mom hauling them down to get baptized. They meant it. They heard that message say, I'm in. They go in. But, but what you meant by your baptism defines what it was. So if you've come to know Jesus, and you say, Jesus, I belong to you, and I want to be baptized. That's baptism. If you didn't know Jesus, or you didn't intend that, you were intending it just as a scrub in the tub, then that's not a baptism. That's not the baptism of Jesus. So, Acts 19 is extremely helpful because a baptism is worth what you meant when you got baptized. And Acts 19 is super helpful because it's a group of people you'll never meet in the world who got baptized in the baptism of John. And though they meant it with all their hearts, when they found the true message of Jesus that John's message is pointing to, they redid. They ran to the water. They got baptized a second time. So as we go out of this, number one, baptism is so helpful with us. It enforces, checks the authenticity, intensity of your giving it all to Jesus. It is just so helpful because it's a little bit embarrassing, right? We haul out our horse tub out there. We filled up water, and everyone looks at you. They're looking at you, looking. And then they'll give you a chance to talk, and you'll get to say something, and it may not sound profound. And then we're going to stuff you under the water not too long and bring you back up. It's kind of embarrassing. You're the only one wet in the whole room. And Jesus gets all of the glory because this is you saying, this is what he did to me. I died with him. I died in Jesus. I've risen newness of life, and it's all his fault. It's all to his credit, and I happily lay down my dignity for that. And then for you, as a Christian, he's going to call you time and time again and go, you want to think about sin? Remember back to your baptism. Remember when you baptized, you're celebrating, number one, the fundamental point, the old you died, and you died with Jesus. You have newness of life. So stop, step one in the fight against sin is remember your baptism. And if you can't remember your baptism or you weren't baptized, let's baptize you. we got a horse trough. We love to use it. We can do it any Sunday we want. And when you share the gospel with people, think through how in the New Testament baptism is so closely associated with the gospel to bring them to this saying, you know, when we put our faith in Jesus, you know, when we do this, this uh, gospel stuff here, when we put our faith and respond to Jesus, one of the first steps out that God gives you is this very meaningful one, which is to be baptized in front of people by somebody else to help you really mean what you said. It's a test of the meaningness of all. And then it's a living example for the rest of your life to remind you who you are in Jesus. Let's pray. In the last two songs here, we invite you guys to, um, as baptism is one of the sacraments, a wonderful physical teaching tool for us, taking communion is one of the other ones that God has given us. So if you know Jesus, if we've never met you today and you know Jesus, or if you came to know Jesus in the last three minutes by putting your faith in him, even if you haven't been baptized, Come back and celebrate the fact that Jesus died for our sins. Would you guys please stand?
And I'll pray, Father, please be with us. Please lead us. Let us understand this unique, amazing, wonderful gift of baptism. May it mean tons to us, Father, like it means to you. May you help us in our thinking because of the gift of baptism. May you help us in our authenticity because of baptism. May you help us speak the gospel because of baptism. And Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper back there that we do again and again, please help our hearts as we just celebrate and agree together that you died for our sins. And as we sing these songs, that our souls be true to the words and sincere. We love you, Jesus. We love you, you're a hero. We're, we're so thankful that you're the one who kills our flesh. We're so thankful that you've died a death, that you've invited us to die in with you and live a life that you invite us to live with. All praise, all glory be to you. In Christ's name.